My name is Justin Lore. And I am Liam O'Donnell. And you are listening to Horror Business episode 135. <laughs> I wonder if I could have been an announcer if I had like learned how to modulate my voice better. An announcer for like a sports announcer? Yeah, just any voiceover thing. Vo- voiceover people make a fuck ton of money. Like an un believable amount of money to just like get on a mic and say like five sentences over and over again so that the person has a bunch of options to use and they don't even go to studios anymore most of them record at home to save money it's so weird it's like a big fucking deal one of my favorite things i've talked about this a little bit on on cinepunks but like i really like that dropout channel uh that's like the college humor channel and yeah. uh, a lot of the people who do D&D on there in their like real job, they're like voiceover people. And then they could just like do shows about D&D for funsies because they make so much money doing voiceover and not just for like commercials and cartoons, video games and stuff like there's a there's a woman who's one of the aunties in Miss Marvel. You watched Miss Marvel, right? Yes. Yes. Remember how there was a whole team of aunties at the at the uh, mosque or whatever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was one of the aunties. And so I was like, oh, I recognize her from Miss Marvel. That must be what she's known for. And then I finally looked her up on IMDb, and she's done like four editions of League of Legends, done multiple voices on League of Legends. And I'm like, oh, never mind. That's what pays the bills. Like, (laughs) Miss Marvel was for fucking fun. If you are doing League of, if you've done four editions of League of Legends, that's, that's giving you some fucking bank, you know? That's so crazy to me. But I guess I, I I guess you know yeah that is what pays the bills. It's crazy. It's crazy. Anyways, hey hey, I'm so glad we're getting to record, y'all. Sorry we've been a little busy, but my man over here was on an epic vacation, and that it was epic. That was obviously more important than being like, hey, I know you're trying to look for Bigfoot, but get on your computer oh, in fuck. the hotel. I, okay, okay, <laughs> <laughs> okay. So first, we are covering on today's episodes. We're talking. These these would you say these movies both have a both have a theme in them? Yeah, well, here's the thing. One of these movies, you know, it really pushes the boundaries of good taste. It really like comes across as very misogynist. It kind of has like a really um dark view of women and while, you know, it has some good intentions, I think overall it's kind of like a a bit of a like a, a a masculine heavy movie, and the other film is called Frankenhooker. <laughs> so that first film is 2008's Dead Girl. I mean, you know, the joke here for those of you who maybe didn't understand, I think you know you see a thing called Frankenhooker, and you're going to assume this is fucked up, especially in 2023. That's going to be a fucked up exploitation, whatever, which it kind of is, but also it kind of isn't in a weird way and in fact i was so surprised when i watched dead girl and i was like how is this movie so much more fucked up than frankenhooker you know like it's just it's very strange to me we'll get there i think i think dead girl has good intentions 
it just doesn't um <sighs> I mean I I don't know that Frankenhooker had good intentions. No, I absolutely I'm I'm almost positive it didn't. But I think that Henenlauter actually has a more nuanced view of everything he does. I mean, Brain Damage is a movie about addiction, but also it's got other stuff going on. Basket Case is supposed to be nothing but an exploitation movie, but he really humanizes the 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 brother who's not in a basket, right? Like there there's emotion there. I think with this movie, this is his most like I just need to do some shit for some money kind of movie. But there's actually some interesting decisions in this film, and I think a lot of people have gone back to this movie as saying that, like, you know, for the time period, was this 89, 1990, I think? Not ni- 1990. Yeah, for 1990, well, it's, it's not so bad, actually, you know? As, especially in the sense that, like, there really is only one villain in this movie, much like Frankenstein, and it's not the monster. Yeah. I mean, I'm not crazy about the tagline being a terrifying tale of sluts and bolts, but... Yes. Oh, oh, don't get me wrong. I don't think Henenlotter intended for any part of this to be affirming of anyone. He was writing a shitty exploitation film. On the other hand, in comparison to our other movie, I'm like, that eh, freaking hooker's not so bad, you know? It makes some poor decisions. I don't, I don't know about the super crack thing. Although I do think, like, the... Well, we'll get into it, but, but uh, my spoiler being, I think, the for me, the most offensive decision of the movie beyond the tagline which is super crack i think reflects the time period which is like crack was everywhere in fact i think some of the people in the movie are actually smoking crack and that fucks me up a little bit but i think that's sort of the what was going on at the time yeah no i can i can i can dig with that i can vibe with that so before we go any further we should thank we should acknowledge some people we'd like to thank you our patron subscribe patreon subscribers without you this would be markedly more difficult. So if you are a member of, if you are a patron of Cinepunks and the Har Business family as a whole, we appreciate it. And if you'd like to be a patron, you can head to Cinepunks or patreon.com backslash Cinepunks. We'd also like to thank our sponsors. Now, um, if you are, uh, if you're doing some kind of uh, professional wrestling, if you are some kind of professional wrestler, let's say, um, uh, what would your gimmick be? Um, the seventh Von Erich brother, the one who, one of two who made it. That's a little tasteless. Fuck yeah, that's, that's too dark for me, man. Okay. Let's just say, let's say you're a professional wrestler whose gimmick is that you hate Fritz Von Erich. Just look that reference up. Yeah, that's okay. I'm okay yeah. with that. And you want to get that t-shirt made. Liam, where would you suggest going, going for that? Uh, Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations, uh, one of the most personable and yet punk rock experiences you can have. Well, I did that the wrong way. Personal and professional because of their punk rock uh, uh, ethics. Basically, they give you the work, the quality work you would get at a more uptight shop full of squares. But they're fun to work with and they are flexible and ready to work with you for your designs. So Also uptight. They are uptight squares. Well, I, you know, I guess whatever. Point is, they they're they're great. We love them. Not Chris Reject, he sucks, but the rest of them are great, and I love working with them. They print our shirts for Rough Cut. They print our shirts for Cinepunks. They've printed uh, uh, the Harvest's shirts. They they do awesome work there, and we willingly associate and even interact with Chris Reject because we love working with Lehigh Valley and Peril Creations so much. Sure www.xlvacx.com 
Liam, who else do we have to thank? Our friends over at EssexCoffeeRoasters.com, uh, Aaron Dahlbeck, who you know from such great bands as Bane, Converge, uh, Be Well. Uh, he offers coffee through EssexCoffeeRoasters.com as well as high-quality teas. But what sets his coffee apart is that it is roasted to order highest-quality beans. And if you have questions about the best ways to prepare your coffee, he would love to help you figure that out. So head to EssexCoffeeRoasters.com. On your way out, enter the code CINEPUNK, C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X, for 10% off your order. And finally, we would give a, we'd like to give a shout out to the homie Sharky over at Mechanical Shark Media. If you have some sort of project, be it audio or visual, that you want to bring to life, Sharky can help you out. He has his cool studio. I think it's named, uh, excuse me, sir, we're going to need a larger boat for this situation. I think that's the name of the studio. Something like that. Just Something add, like that. Just head to Mechanical Shark Media uh, for all your of your media needs. Oh, and I guess I should also say, check out RoughCupFanClub.com. Um, I don't know that we have anything specifically horror up right now, but we do a variety of genre shirts over there. So check it out. Now comes the time. In the in the comes the time when when I I was gonna make a I can't even fucking think straight. Liam and I are in a factory, and there's a woman there who's a zombie, and before Liam and I, before I go to do unspeakable things to this woman, this zombie creature woman, I turn to Liam and I say, Liam, what have you done involving her recently? Well, um, that's a very good question, Justin. Uh, you know, I haven't actually seen a ton of horror movies. Am I wrong, Justin? Are there a lot of newer horror movies that have come out? Because I feel like I haven't noticed anything coming out recently. Um, I mean, there's a goodish amount on like, um, I recently subscribed to subscribed to, to Screenbox. So oh, sure. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's some on there. There's some on Shudder. Nothing. I mean, there, there haven't been any big releases since like Evil Dead Rise. Well, I caught up with Ennis Main, which you had uh, recommended I check, that, check out. Uh, but I had already, you know, I'd heard about it. I just hadn't got a chance to watch it yet. Uh, I really liked that. That is a yeah. fucking um, retro nightmare. Uh, I think. Go ahead, it's, what were you going to say? I was going to say, it's. I think it succeeds in a way that um, a lot of movies try to look like they were shot in the 70s and yes, 80s. Yes, yes. That movie was fucking, that was, that may have been the best looking film in that kind of weird subgenre that I've ever seen. Like, it was fucking gorgeously shot. I, I, I was like, I was honestly constantly in awe of the cinematography in that film. And it's a real, it's a real vibe. Like the visuals in that movie. I mean, uh, uh, for those of you who haven't seen it, it, it would be a, it would be a struggle to describe it as a narrative film, right? Like it doesn't really have. It, it has a story of sorts, but it doesn't tell it in a way that I think most people are, you know, are super familiar with. Uh, but visually, it's very striking. And for me, I kind of find straight narratives as the only kind of movie. It's a little bit overrated. I liked the way that this, there's a story for you, for you there, but the way it's being told is not obvious. So I, I really found that compelling. And I thought the actor in it, uh, she was really great. I think I think yeah. there are other performances that are good too, but it's, it's really her most of the time. She and carries it, yeah. very compelling. Um, so that was the main sort of horror movie. I also caught up with, and I guess some might say this is more of a thriller thing, but I still think of it as horror. I caught up with the Dead Ringers remake show. How is that? I haven't finished it yet, but so far it's very good. Uh, and I rewatched the original just to like 
because I was watching the show. Um, but so far, it's very good. Uh, the what is her name? Rachel Weiss, who's in it. Um, yes, she is carrying the show. I mean, the show is overall good. I suspect someone less talented would fail at this. Like she is, she's better as the twins than Jeremy Irons was as the twins. Like that's just no shit. That's just a fact, you know? Now I, I think that it's, it's not the same story. It has some different themes. Uh, and again, I'm not finished yet. So I don't want to give an overall, like it's great, but so far it's really great. And I think the additional aspects to it are really compelling and really add something to the story as opposed to like we just had to change something so we changed this you know it, it feels like there's real ideas going on so I'd, we, I'd love to hear from other people who've seen it and what you thought about it i know adriana said she liked it uh but if you listen and uh you want to let us know hit us up on socials and the last thing i wanted to say so i said this on two other podcasts that i'm on so if you listen to all the podcasts you might get tired of hearing it but really the thought was for this one which is uh after the end of the latest season of the mandalorian um i really wanted to watch more star wars stuff i sort of had a taste for it and i'm usually i'm usually a a bit of a medium star wars guy right uh and uh we decided to start watching rebels with mave because we needed a new show to watch with mave and uh, i know that some of the stuff from rebels was in the mandalorian is going to be in ahsoka so i thought well let's catch up with this show and i haven't watched really any of the other star wars cartoons like clone wars or bad batch or um what's the other one i don't remember what it's called but i haven't really watched them so i was like well let's start with with rebels one rebels is very good which i guess i kind of knew it would be good or else i wouldn't be willing to start it but it's like better than i thought it would be and mave has also enjoyed it but some of the episodes have been really hard for mave uh now did you ever watch rebels justin i haven't no uh about every third or fourth episode in this series is a monster of the week episode oh okay like not always there are definitely very star warsy episodes there's adventures and smuggling and whatever but the number of times they're like we're on a planet and we don't know what's here there's a kaiju like monster or oh we're in this dark place and oh no it's a sith temple and there's this you know inquisitors are here or whatever whatever or there's a killer droid on this abandoned ship the 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 amount of times they use horror tropes and it's interesting because i don't think of star wars using horror tropes very much no but, but really there is some of that with the original Darth Vader stuff, you know, that, that there was some like a little bit darker imagery. The show plays that shit up even harder. Like there's a, there's a very famous scene that I won't spoil for anyone where Darth Vader is fighting someone in a Sith temple, a major character. And it's, it's a fucking nightmare, man. Like the, the, the amount to which they will incorporate horror. It's just a real big surprise to me. And it's been kind of fun for me to watch with Maeve because it, you know, it, she gets anxious I and mean, she's only six. So of course she gets a little anxious about it, but it's never like so much that it's like too much for her, but it's still like a little bit of spooky. So I kind of like that. I think I'm familiar with the scene you're talking about. Is it when someone, someone in question who knows Vader chops part of his mask off? Yes. That scene is fucking terrifying. Now, how did you see that and not the rest of the show? Um, oh, I think I was just, I think it was right when Obi-Wan Kenobi came out. Uh, someone sure. someone put on instagram they're like it's it's interesting when um 
when Obi-Wan fights him, he chops off the right half of his mask. And when this person fights him, they chop off the left half of his mask. And it's only like Luke who takes off the entire mask and makes Anakin complete again. And I was like, oh, that's, I have to watch that now. So I just looked that scene up and I was like, yo, Anakin looks straight up terrifying in that. I mean, I think that one of the things that's interesting is that both the Mandalorian and now the soon to be coming out Ahsoka draw very heavily both from Rebels and the Clone Wars. So, yes. you know, if 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 you're one of those people who like Star Wars stuff but haven't given the cartoons a shot, I recommend it. I, I haven't watched a lot of the Clone Wars, really. You know, I watched a couple episodes with Maeve. But uh, but really, we're really into this Rebel show. And and then I also on the, related to that. The Visions Project is still my favorite of all the Johns. Uh, like every Star Wars thing, it's my favorite Star Wars thing. And the new season of Visions has a couple that are real fucking spooky, just just super nightmare fuel. So uh, if you if you if you want more spooky in your Star Wars, check out Visions as well. So I know, I know that both of those are kind of only horror adjacent, but it just it, it was kind of joyful to me to be like man a couple times to be like this episode's kind of scary i like that i like that they're working in some like tropes of the genre you know yeah but that's all i got what's up with you justin um so when it comes <clears throat> to direct horror the only thing I, I as liam said i've been um we were supposed to record last time and i honestly i didn't tell you this liam i thought i had covid oh no yeah but i mean i i i, I didn't i tested numerous times i you know was negative um, so that's why we didn't record before I went on this like insane road trip. I, you know, for those of you who don't follow me on Instagram and don't know, I flew into Los Angeles on the 13th. It was on a Saturday. And then the next day made my way up the coast to Portland for a, I shouldn't say for a, I should say for the UFO festival, the McMinnville UFO festival. Um, the only thing I did really involving horror was I started reading um, Adam Neville's Some Will Not Sleep. Adam Neville's the guy who wrote, um, oh my God, uh, they made a movie out of it. David Bruckner directed it. Guy from Shaun of the Dead. Uh, the, 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 the Ritual, The Ritual. Sure, made, yeah. Um, this is a collection of short stories, <laughs> and I put on Instagram where it was like, now reading this, oh, the first story is really upsetting. Oh my God, the second story was even worse. Guys, the third, like, every story in this book has been like, next level fucking creepy and 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 scary like there's just something like the first story um i haven't been able to get out of my head and I, I started reading this last week it's been in my head for days now just like i'll just randomly think about it like once a day um it's fucking creepy as for the trip as for the trip itself i did i guess you could say i did a few like horror related things um the first night I was in Los Angeles, me and friend of the podcast, Carly from the Final Girls, we drove to the Absentia Tunnel again, and we also went to the, what is it called? It's the hotel from True Romance where Patricia Arquette beats the fuck out of James uh, Gandolfini. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Safari Inn, we went there. Um, What else did I do? Uh, I went to a few filming locations from The Birds. That's pretty cool. Went to a few filming locations from fucking Halloween 3, and no one in that town knew it. At uh, Lolita, California. Spoiler alert, not on the up and up. Like, very, um, very, uh, lock your doors at every red light. It's, um, a little, little down and out. Uh, but I think the coolest thing that I did on this trip was when I was at this, uh, 
Oh, I also hung out with Evan. Evan Valella, friend of the podcast. He's awesome. been here. I hung out with him for three nights in a row, and it was amazing. It made me so fucking happy to hang out with that dude. Um, I went to a this UFO festival, and uh, I paid for the VIP. Like, um, there's like a there was like a like a speakers form, like these different events, and the VIP pass gets you into all the events. So I paid for the VIP pass, and one of the speakers was Travis Walton, who, as you guys know, was the subject of a little film called Fire in the Sky. Now, a few years back, a documentary came out to him that uh, I recently watched it, and it was so well done and so well constructed, and it brought up some like weird evidence that is like admittedly circumstantial, but it is evidence that I've kind of switched my long-held stance on Travis Walton, and that I now believe him. So I was like, I'm gonna go to this fucking festival. I'm gonna fucking tell this dude that, like, oh, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I believe you and all this shit. So I went there and like um, he does the thing and I like chicken out and then like I'm leaving and I bump into him and I'm like, okay, I'm like, yo, man, uh, I just want to tell you, like, I felt like full of shit when I was a kid, but like, I believe you after watching this documentary and I'm really sorry that, you know, I doubted you. And more importantly, I'm really sorry that this happened to you and that your life is like fucked because hearing this dude talk is like, um, there was like a panel of like all the speakers there. It was like six or seven other people. And at one end is like Travis Walton. And then it's like, there was like these like new age hippy dippy types who were talking about like communing with our astral brothers and meditating to call the aliens into like our lives and all this like really weird, like astral shit. So like during the Q and a, like people are asking, they're like, um, how would I go about, um, inviting ETs into my life? And the one guy was like, well, I do these uh, CE5, Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind meditations. You know, I, I focus on a thought and I beam it out into the universe. And, you know, I just, I concentrate really he heavily. And it's happened a few times where I've done that. And they've come into my room and they've spoken with me. And they talked to this other woman and she's like, oh, you know, you do this. And like, one guy was like, you take hallucinogens and blah, 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 blah. And they get the Travis Watt. And he's just like, why would you, why would, why would you ask to be abducted by aliens? Like, well, why would you want that? Like, it's all these people who were like, oh, Space Brothers. And then there's crotchety old Travis Walton who's like, I still wake up at least once a week screaming. I, you know, I had to get hit. I had to go through. Hip oh, the one thing was like, they were like, have you ever considered undergoing hypnosis to see if you can remember anything from the five days you were gone? Because very famously, he remembers like 20 minutes. And he was like, no, no, I don't I don't want to know what happened. Like. I underwent hypnosis, but it was so I could stop thinking about it in such a way that I thought it was still happening to me. And it was striking to see these people who were saying they had been in contact with aliens and were talking about it in a way that was like, oh, this is so cool. And then there was this guy who was just like, um, I, as he, he, he told me, you know, when I, we were talking, he was like, I don't really regret much in life, but like, I really, really, really wish I hadn't gotten out of the truck. And, uh, one of the things they did was we watched fire in the sky with him doing commentary on like how close to was it that that actually happened. And he had said like, the only thing this movie gets right is the abduction sequence. Like at the top, he said that. And as we're watching it, he's like kind of the side of the, off to the side of the stage, like in the wings. And I could barely see him sitting there with like this, um, the director of this commentary of, of this documentary and during the abduction scene, he's like doubled over like head in his hands, 
like not well. And this woman's like rubbing his back and he like looks at her and he like nods and they keep going. And it's like, oh, this dude can't even fucking watch this movie. It's like, I don't know. There was, there was something that was so like visceral about watching him, I guess, relive this. That was like, okay, holy shit. Like I'm kind of on board with this dude now. Oh my God. That's so crazy. Dude, it was nuts because it was like there was these other people who were like, oh, and then like the aliens came in and they told me, don't be afraid. We're here to bring peace and harmony. Oh, <laughs> real quick. I'll wrap this up. The only other speaker that I saw that I was in like that person's full of shit is like that he was like the director of Southern California's chapter of MUFON. And he was this like grizzled old ex like imagine an ex detective from like a fucking Philip Marlowe story. It was this guy. Like Hawaiian shirt, like unshaved, overweight, probably hungover. And he's just like, all right, right at the top. We're not going to say UAP, it's UFOs. And I don't want to hear anyone mention Philip Glass because you'll get kicked. Philip Glass is a famous skeptic. But this, this guy was another like no bullshit. Like, yeah, these fucking hippies with their drugs and their long hair and their concepts of peace. Fuck them. And I was like, I like this guy. He's, he's fucking cool. He also, you know, didn't claim to be abducted by aliens, but they had asked like the one question is like, what should I do if I see a UFO? And he was like, go to www.mufon.com. There's a form to click. Like, <laughs> it's just like, oh, he's a fucking hype man. I like that. And then they get to like the one lady and she's like, you should close your eyes and send out good vibrations to the aliens and let them know you're welcoming. The other guy was like, you have to do in my book. I write about a, a, a chant you can do that does a cycle and it, it sinks your vibe. And then Travis Walton is just like, just whatever you do, if you're in a car, stay in the car and just get out of there as soon as you can. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I, you know, I I think of myself as generally uh, pretty skeptical of this sort of stuff. But to me, obviously, with a lot of these folks something happened you know what i mean like well, there, uh, there's there's something happened so like you can't just be like uh crazy people you know what i mean like i will say this i won't even go that far i'll say that i don't know if anything happened to travis wallen i know that he believes something happened to him sure sure, sure and sure, 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 it, sure. that is that is that is at least um i will take that over like a fucking lot like a like a like an actual liar any day of the week like this dude honestly believes that something happened to him and i can't say that he is a charlatan and a liar i don't know if he was abducted by aliens but he believes he was like he sincerely believes he was yeah also get this liam are you ready are you ready for this what you're not ready i was in willow creek california the bigfoot capital of the world okay uh-huh <laughs> And I was going to hike to where they shot the famous Patterson-Gimlin film. Okay. But guess what? They're saying that in the Six Rivers National Forest, where the site is, that there's currently this, like, cedar rot blight that they're trying to quarantine. So you can't drive in there because it had rained a few days before, and it, it, it travels in the mud. So they had the access road closed. So instead of a two-and-a-half-mile or a two-mile round-trip hike, to get there, it would it would have been sixteen miles. How fucking convenient is that? That when I want to go there, I can't go there. Hmm. What are they hiding in there? You think maybe Bigfoot's hiding from you? I don't know. Maybe I'll meditate on it. <laughs> maybe maybe I'll do some fucking ayahuasca in the backyard with my dog and see see what see what answers I can find. I'm not gonna do that. 
Nope. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about Frank Henenlotter's 1990 American black comedy horror film, Franken-Sex Worker. I appreciate that. Yes. All right, we'll be right back. In 1931, the world was horrified by the motion picture Frankenstein. In 1935, horror turned to terror with the bride of Frankenstein. In 1990, the makers of Basket Case and Brain Damage bring you... Want a date? <laughs> Frankenhooker. Jeffrey Franken has a plan. I just want to bring you back he has the ingenuity. I need female body parts. He has everything he needs, except the raw materials. Just hold still. Excellent. Oh, my God. Bunyan! Wow! Jeffrey's creation is alive. Looking for some action? Oh, yeah! She's sexy. On a date, you're going out? I'm on my way home, but uh, thanks anyway. I, uh... And she's so jerked to please. Listen, I'm looking for a very tall, attractive woman. She's purple. She's got fresh bars on her. She's in the bar! Now, a motion picture like no other. Ah! A tender story of love and romance. On a date! A gripping tale of lust and revenge. Ah! Frank and Hooker. Some assembly may be required. And we are back to talk about 1990s Frankenhooker, written and direct. Was it written? No. Yeah, no, it was written by Robert Bob Martin and Frank Henenlotter, loosely based on Frankenstein. You can guess what this movie is about. Just this, this is not, this is not um, the Serpent's Egg. You know the fucking. Um, oh God, who directed that? I don't know. Where it's about Nazis and shit. It's not actually about serpents. Um, all cards on the table. This is the first time I ever saw this movie. Uh-huh. What did you think? Uh, it wasn't bad, but it didn't hit me as hard as, like, Brain Damage and, like, Basket Case did. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Tell, tell, me about, tell me about that. Let's explore that. <laughs> so, I think, like, Brain Damage has, like, a lot to say, like you said, about addiction. Um, there's also like, and there's something in basket case that is like, I'm not going to say that basket case is this deep examination of trauma, but there is something there about something from your past where you're torn between, um, trying to have a life and trying to take care of this horrifyingly distort, just, you know, weird deformed family member. I can't relate to being to family being a burden i can't i can't i can't can't relate to that but i'm saying like there's something going on there this movie i don't know because like at times i found myself really enjoying this movie and other times i found myself like rolling my eyes at this because it feels like there's a lot of times when like frank henlotter is trying to out henlotter himself huh okay tell me about that um mostly with the idea of super crack um and the dude drilling shit drilling his own head um and even though i thought it was a neat image like there was a lot of neat imagery at the end the scene with the strange um like when the body parts all like glom together at the end i just i just really felt that was like that was just like revisiting basket case well okay i do think like 
<clears throat> this is towards the end of him kind of doing horror stuff, right? Like, yeah. At, what does he do after this? Maybe Basket Case Three, or, or was Basket Case Two before or after this movie? I think Basket Case Three came after this. Yeah, so I, he's already kind of getting tired of the genre, and I, you know, so I, I think uh, I'm kind of between you and uh, people may remember uh, there's a very nice uh young woman out of LA uh I don't think her real name she ever wrote under her real name but she wrote uh as La Virgen and uh she's a uh I think Mexican American uh critic out of LA she never really wrote under her her first name so I won't put it out there she always used her internet uh name when she wrote for us and she wrote a piece the end of which is uh hold on I want to I want to actually say this Either way, though the film itself appears outrageous and campy as hell, Hedenlotter illustrates a pro-sex worker, feminist character who endures hell but makes her creator pay. And uh, she's not alone. The majority of critics reviewing this movie are like, hey, uh, it's weird that this movie is actually more feminist than most movies released in 1990. And uh, I got to say, I think they're right. I just don't think he meant to do that on purpose. I think Henenlotter, like his other movies, was trying to make a real outrageous, crazy movie. Only in this movie, A, it, it is one of the first movies I can point to that is literally about toxic masculinity, in which the nice guy is as bad as Zorro. Like, Zorro and, and Jeffrey are supposed to be opposites. And they are, in many ways, opposites. But they're both literally trying to control women for their own purposes. No, the only difference is that Zorro is a fucking out-and-out out monster, whereas yes. Jeffrey is just a simpering, muling piece of shit. Yep. Who, uh, who, by the way, says he wants his girlfriend back, but then is doing everything he can to replace her old body with, with what he thinks of as better, more perfect body parts, thus yeah. showing how he's objectified her in every way. He is truly the villain of the movie, and that's ke keeping in mind all of Zoro's bullshit and all that stuff. Uh, when he, this uh, uh, undead sex worker is brought to life, you know, we're given lots of scenes of her just like disrespecting people around her of her. Remember the scene where she's eating pretzels and the person's, oh, you got to watch your weight. And she's just like, Meh, you know, yeah. uh, again, I don't think Helen Lauder's like, I'm going to get a message in here about, you know, body positivity or some shit like that. I think honestly, the more that I've like thought about him as a person, I think this is just who he is. He thinks it's funny. Like, that you would do this. And of course that's a stupid thing to say. And he knows it's a stupid thing to say, but there is a choice he makes in this movie that says to me that he must have a different view than what I think you hear a movie called Frankenhooker, Frankenhooker. You see the tagline, you assume this movie is going to be one thing. Why does he have the talk show with the woman talking about sex worker rights? My man is working on a plan to murder multiple prostitutes sex workers to make an undead creature that will in theory be his girlfriend and head and has an extended sequence with a talk show on where there is a real life activist who is arguing for legal protections for sex workers yes why does, why does he include that they didn't have he didn't have to do that and i 
it's crazy, right? Because again, yeah. I'm not arguing, which I think some people go this far. And I'm not saying that La Virgin is arguing this. I think she doesn't mean t- to suggest that like Hen and Lauder is necessarily a crazy feminist or anything. But the idea that like he just wants to make a movie called Frankenhooker. He wants to make an exploitation movie. But in that doing, he actually points out multiple ways. Like, why does this movie like why is this narrative make sense? Because no one cares, right? You really could, and people have murder people who are sex workers and have no consequences whatsoever. You can just uh, murder them. Yeah, all you know, like <laughs> I mean, you look at like um, you look at some of the quote unquote great serial killers and hit like Joel Rifkin, who famously in New York City around the time this was going on was preying on sex workers. He literally only got caught because he kind of like. Because he fucked up so bad. The cops could not care. Like, sex worker, the only thing lower than, a, on a, on like, a, like, when it comes to, like, um, the importance in, in, like, when it comes to, like, cops investigating murders, the only thing lower than a sex worker is a black sex worker. I mean, yeah. I mean, like, understand, we're saying this is unjust. And, and I think the thing about Henlotter is, I, I don't think he's ever made... Or, okay, I haven't watched his documentaries, but when it comes to his horror, I don't think he's ever made a message movie in these horror movies, anything like that. I think he is trying to do what the genre wants. But as a person, he just thinks certain things are stupid. And, like, the reason he can make a movie where this, you know, guy who is basically a monster. And he, by the way, motherfucker was a monster before his girlfriend died, right? Like, that creepy brain thing shows you something's wrong with this person. And this trauma is just giving him an excuse as well as fueling him. Again, not that different from Frankenstein, the original Frankenstein, right? Um, And then he, there's a lot of humor in the movie. It's campy, it's silly. There's a lot of him just like, I don't understand the streets. I don't understand the city. I'm from Jersey. How can I understand what's going on here in Times Square? I think there, as Henlotter, as a New York guy, there's a lot of him making fun of, like, this sort of person. Like, the, the depiction of them at this party in the suburbs at the beginning of the movie, I think that's supposed to be, like, fucking suburb. You know what I mean? Like, I think there yeah. is an edge to a lot of this movie. I think that the only part of it that's has bothered me even since, because when I was a kid, you know that I didn't care about all the stuff I'm seeing now where head and lauder is somewhat unintentionally giving you a more positive view than I think really is sort of his goal. He's not trying to change your ideas. It's just who he is as a person. However, when I was a kid, I didn't care about that. What I cared about was the part that sold the movie. And the reason the movie was on HBO so often, it's all the nudity, right? Like, yeah, the, the that's, movies. that's what I cared about when I was a kid. But it wasn't that long ago that I started to notice, like, you know, this movie's not quite for, – for this title and the embarrassment I feel when I tell people I like this movie, it's not as fucked as I thought, actually. It's, there's a lot of parts of this that kind of work. The part that consistently bummed me out and still kind of buzzed me out is one of the things that you brought up that I think is a fair criticism, which is – the the idea of super crack right like that is on one hand it kind of shows the reality of the situation that uh in certain cases people are being manipulated because of addiction he's already shown in his other movie that he's concerned about addiction he's clearly defending he's he's giving an opportunity to say like hey this is this is unjust this is not okay the way we treat these women um, but he's also trying to get humor at a situation and, you know, 1990 crack is like, people are so fucking afraid. And, and with, you know, uh, again, I'm generally think that 
I'm more on the conspiracy theory end of crack where like, you know, I, I feel oh, you like mean the fucking truth. Yeah. The truth that the government probably created it and pushed it into the neighborhoods. I was going to say, yeah, the, 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 in this movie, the whole idea of a, um, a well-to-do white guy introducing super crack right, into New York right. city amongst a vulnerable population, not too far from what I firmly believe actually happened. So I, I, I don't know that I want to go so far as to say like, it's not cool that this is the plot point, but I do think in 2023, it's one of the few parts where I'm like, uh, this still makes me uncomfortable, but maybe that's okay. Maybe this movie doesn't need to be, I'm, maybe it's good that this movie still has some edge to it where me uptight little me is like, I don't know. I don't like this. I don't like this aspect of the, of the thing. Uh, but like, still like, that's like the one thing. And I do think like, I kind of understand why this is the direction you you would go with it. But on the other hand, he can't help but like, as you said, head and lauder it up. He really does. There's a lot of like, well, okay, I kind of like the drilling thing because when he drills his head, you know what it made me think of that felt very modern? You know, not, this is not what he's thinking of. That silly meme of, uh, you know, men will do this instead of go to therapy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jeffrey will, I think his name's Jeffrey, right? Did I yeah. Get that right, Jeffrey would drill his head rather than yeah. go to therapy. I mean, that's literally what's going on, right? He's upset. He's upset at his horrible life, at his horrible situation. He's obsessed. He can't let go of this idea that he's going to crack the code to bring his girlfriend back. Of course, with better parts and stuff. But still, he's going to bring her back. And he drills his fucking head instead of goes to therapy. And I just was like, okay, that part kind of worked for me. But I do think like the extremity of a lot of these scenes, it's all played for humor, right? And either you're on board with the silliness of it all. And, and, and we've talked about this before. There's something, you know, there's a ton of silliness in eighties horror, but for me, some of the silliest movies I think of in horror are more nineties movies, especially early nineties movies. There's just these movies that are just, I guess it's a horror movie cause there's gore, but they're just so over the top goofy and this is one of my favorites of that genre but if someone says it doesn't work for them because it's too goofy i kind of get that because it's very fucking silly and that monster at the end it's not super impressive right when all the things are together i it works for me i'm fine with it but i don't think it's like his best work as no. a director of creature stuff it's certainly not for me the the the, the high you know the high watermark for me with head and water is still brain damage like i just think that's his best movie honestly even though i love basket case i love this movie uh i don't I haven't watched basket case too so I, I think i need to watch that to really have you ever feel. seen basket case three i have not uh there's a mech in basket case three <laughs> Okay, I, I need to see that. I, yeah. I know I know a lot of people who love Head and Ladder, they all say bad behavior is like the last thing. You know, that's like his yeah. last hurrah and that it might be too much even for him. So I kind of need to dive into that at some point. But <clears throat> sorry, I'm, I'm going off on a tangent here. But I, I do think, again, I don't want to do, I definitely saw pieces when I was looking up, like what are people saying about this movie? I definitely saw people who want to like go full activist mode on this movie that's that doesn't seem right to me. I don't think that's real. But it is interesting that in making what is essentially a grindhouse movie after grindhouse isn't even a thing anymore. Like this is a movie for late night cable, which it was. It played on Cinemax and and late night HBO constantly. Like this movie lived in the space it was created for. It's really fucking weird. It's actually weirder to me the parts of this movie that like 
aren't fucked up, <laughs> I guess is rather than sort of negotiating the parts that are right. Cause there's, it's still a fucking crazy movie with all kinds of crazy shit, which is fun. That's partly why it's fun. But like, it's, it's weirder to me that it's maybe not as fucked up as it could be considering, you know, it, it's, it's point of origin, the vibe of it when it came out, you know, this isn't some like Hollywood thing. This is, this is gritty, you know, uh, you know, grindhouse shit. And yet, I don't know. There's, it's weird. It's a weird thing. What do you, uh, I, I get it's, it's some parts of it a little too head on it for you. Are, are there parts of it that you found surprisingly ch- charming? And was there anything about it that you no. just were like, <clears throat> Pat, this is too fucking much. I think Patty Mullen's performance is like perfect. Yeah. I think she's very like, especially once she goes into full, like when she's like full, like Frankenhooker, when she's like, do you need a date? Let's go out. You seem like that was like spot on. Um, the thing that like kind of upset me more than anything else. And again, I touched upon this earlier was the portrayal of Jeffrey as the archetypical nice guy where it's like, he justifies every horrible thing he does by like, and sadly he's, he's not wrong when he's talking about like, um, he's given this like super crack to these, to these sex workers. And he's like, Oh, like they're going to die anyway. It doesn't matter. Like I'm, I, I'm actually doing a, I'm actually doing them a service because I'm, I'm hastening their exit from the world, which if you uh, pay attention is the same exact logic that a lot of fucking serial killers have. Right. Um, and just his like overall objection of these women is like, like, look, I, I don't, I'm not condemning sex work. I think sex work is valid. I think sex work um, plays a crucial role in society. And I think people who, use the services of sex workers i don't think they're bad people i think maybe they're just lonely maybe they just need whatever and there's nothing wrong with that like i don't think people who are uh using the services of sex workers i don't think they're necessarily objectifying said sex workers any more than i'm objectifying you know the fucking cashier at at, at taco bell when i order my you know what I mean? Like, I mean, you do get pretty horny at Taco Bell, but I, I do. I, 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 I do. Yes. It's, it's sickening. I'm not allowed in the Easton Taco Bell anymore. I have to drive over to fucking Jersey to get my order. We don't have time to go into that. Um, but this guy absolutely a is seeking out these women because he knows that they right. quote unquote don't matter to society. And B, even if he wasn't, he clearly has a, uh, not so subtle disdain for sex workers. Oh, 100%. And it's not just sex workers that he has the disdain for. It's like you said, it's women. And it's, it's, he is, he talks about how much he misses his girlfriend. And yet really he puts his girlfriend's head on an entirely new body. It's just, he's like, he's like, there's a seat. There's, there's a whole fucking montage where he's literally measuring out the body parts of these sex workers. And it's like, oh, that's all that matters Uh to you Uh is you're literally building the perfect body for, you know, your weird fucked up cornball, nice guy dreams. Which is why the ending is so fucking satisfying. Right. When Patty Mullen gets him in like, oh, like now this is like you like have fun. Yeah. Well, okay. So then I'm confused. So you're saying that that is effective that that portrayal or you didn't like the way it was handled in the movie. That's what I'm confused by. No, I think I think in theory it was a cool ending. I just think in execution, I wasn't nuts about it. Huh. I, I the the part that you're describing for me is I think what I like about it because it, to a certain extent, I think that while the movie is very, um, is still sort of pushing the envelope and, and still functions as an exploitation film. 
it, it also feels to me like uh, it's kind of skewering its own audience, right? That like there's a there's a bit of an assumed audience for the movie that maybe identifies a little too closely with Jeffrey in the ways that it breaks down uh, in the ways that they break down women into just body parts, functional body parts, right? And and I don't think the for me again, not that I'm not trying to say this movie is like about that, but it feels like the movie doesn't think Jeffrey's a good dude. And that if you think like this guy, that's the problem. You know, like this is, this dude sucks on every possible level. And I, and I don't get the feeling that uh, you're supposed to have really any compassion for this motherfucker. I mean, no, even when she gets killed, it's his fucking fault. And it's like, he's sad, but like, Come on, man. Like, he's so uninterested in everything about her life before he loses her. He doesn't doesn't mourn her as a human being. He mourns, if I can quote the great philosopher Raymond Capo, he overlooks the person to whom the body belongs. Yes. He is not mourning the loss of Elizabeth. He is mourning the loss of her place in his life, her body's place in his life. Yeah. Because he's a piece of shit. Yeah. And I think he's just mourning the idea, like, this horrible thing happened, and he thinks he can fix it, because that's how he deals with his problems, is, oh, he's so smart, he can do whatever. This, like, horrible, this horrible thing happened to me, I can mm-hmm. fix it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, but, but the funny part about it is, he's not that smart, right? Because, like, even though he's figured this thing out, I mean, even the clue we get ahead of time, when he has done this amazing thing, he's made this eye-brain thing, but whenever people are like, what is it? He's like, I don't, I don't know. Like, he just did it, right? Like, it's this idea that he might have some sort of ability, but, like, he doesn't give a fuck, right? He's like a Tommy knocker. They could just make yeah. these weird things that, like, it's just like, what is this thing? I don't know. It just teleports matter across space and time, I think. It's interesting. I think I, I'm definitely with you with, with the idea that the the tone is... Uh, a bit ridiculous and so you have to be on board for that and i do think the the creature which a lot of people love the creature uh which is all the body parts fused together i'm less stoked on it and so i'm with you that that part's a little excessive but i think for me like the portrayal of him is like one of the parts i think is really great like i think that that really works for me and it's weird because i don't know i mean maybe there was and i just didn't know about it but i don't know how much nice guy discourse there was in 1990 like it it feels like this is one of few examples where a dude like him is really shown to be as shitty as any other man in the movie you know what i mean like that that he's he's maybe one of the worst you know i i kind of love oh, that yeah, aspect no, b- of it. before this the only discussion of nice guys you know in quotation marks when it comes to like romance were like john hughes films where like some of those guys were terrible most of those guys were terrible yeah i agree um i i do like going back to the ending i think it's telling that like um Maybe I'm looking too far into this, whatever. I do like the idea of it being the worst thing that he can think of is being a woman. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I think that may have, like, I, there may have been a lot of people who were like, I don't know, I, like, I, can't, I, I, I can't imagine people, even, like, fucking douchebag seeing this movie and being like, oh, no. But, like, I do think that was meant to evoke a feeling of horror because he had become like the one thing that he like looks down upon the most. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that was 
you know, that was uh, Elizabeth's point was like, oh, yeah, this is all I have to work with. Like, sorry. Well, and I think that this is the part that is for me the most like, again, I don't know how intentional this is. Like, I don't think it's about, you know, getting across an idea, but I think it's helpful you know, instead of th- worrying about the the director's intent, though I do love Hen and Lauder, I'm more just saying like it's a good place for discussion, right? That like for so many men, the thing that they spend all this time objectifying and obsessing over, you know, and I do mean thing when it comes to the female body, is also the 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 a source of fear for them. You know, it's like the the value of feminine uh of femininity is in its distance from you. And the yes. moment that you would cross over into being like it is unacceptable. And, I, you know, it's interesting to me that Hen and Lauder's hitting on that. Again, I don't think to to make this like a, like a message, but like is really a, creating a scenario in which we could really think about that because it rings true that he really would be like, oh no, this is the worst thing that could happen. Even though I've spent years obsessing over these bodies i in fact i am now participating directly in a thing that i thought was a gift i was giving to not just myself but to the world it's hard it's horrifying right and i i love that again i i don't want to i really worry sometimes when when we do talk about themes in these movies that people think i'm out here claiming you know a director is like an activist or something that's not what i'm saying at all but i do think Hen Lauder does a great job of really turning that shit around in this movie, uh, even while still making a silly, ridiculous, over the top, still kind of offensive movie. I kind of like that. It, 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 it gives me a little bit of, of, of happiness uh, in it, even though, you know, if someone says, well, this or that particular part grossed me out. Yeah, I get it. There's this is not an easily this is not an easily down movie for a lot of people, I don't think. No, I mean it's it's by no means. I mean, I pro I think this is probably like his easiest to watch movie out of like the big three of Hen and films. Um, but at the same time, like I don't know, there's still like it's so weird because I like it. It's it almost like it accidentally brushes up against in like Hen and like mission to like playfully and goofily shock you. It's it really is like he brushes up against these like kind of cool ideas that are like make you think way more than this movie than a movie called fucking Frankenhooker has any right to make you think. You know what? I'm going to change my mind. I really like this movie. It's I I'm, I'm not saying it's perfect. We've covered better movies, but I think it doesn't help. It does help this movie and it doesn't help the other movie that we've put these two together, because I think if we put Frankenhooker next to. I don't know, name a name a more strongly female centric horror movie. We notice all the like the shaky bits where it's like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Sure, sure, sure. She's strong character, but this is fucked or that is fucked. But you put it next to Dead Girl and it's like, well, I don't know. This kind of works. You know, I can kind of see where this is. And and again, I, I think if you are like, well, I just don't like silly horror. This isn't going to be for you. This is a very silly movie. But for me, it worked. But we should transition to the other movies so we give that one as much time. But I will say, if you haven't seen Frankenhooker and you're avoiding it because it is truly an unpleasant name for a movie, I'd say give it a chance. If, again, if you like goofy, campy horror, if you're looking for something more serious, this is not going to work for you. Yes. 
All right, so that's Frankenhooker. Um, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk, talk about the 2008 American horror film, Dead Girl. Dead Girl. We'll be right back, Dead Girl. If you close your eyes, can you make out sky? Is there a sky? What are you saying? Rick, you gotta get over that, man. You lost Joanne to puberty, you ain't getting her back. Look, man, what are we gonna do? Let's go to the nut house. What do you say? Are there any security guards there or something? There's no security guards, man. The place is dead. back to talk about Dead Girl. First movie I ever saw Noah Sagan in. And compared to the last movie I saw Noah Sagan in, um, he's a fucking piece of shit in this movie. He really is. Because he's so wholesome in, what is it, bro Blood Relatives? Yeah. He's such a fucking good dude in that movie. Um, So this movie is like a weird, I don't want to say like guilty pleasure of mine because I don't believe in that, but like this was a movie has a very special place in my heart. I saw this. This movie came out in 2008, right after I graduated college. And it was one of like the first movies I watched right after I graduated college. So I was in a very dark place at the time. And um, you want to guess if this movie helped me at all, like get out of that dark place? Because it didn't. Nope. Um, <sighs> so I got to be honest. I do think the base concept of this movie like the baseline these dudes find a fucking body in a basement of a psychiatric hospital that is for whatever reason a zombie i think that's kind of interesting now that being said i do think this filmmaker his intent was to show how terrible the objectification of women is now with that being said it didn't help that he basically made 
the main female character of this movie, a fucking MacGuffin that is just used and objectified. Um, and I don't know. It's just a very sloppily handled, sloppily handled movie. Um, I don't hate it, but I definitely really, I, I think it's almost like the payoff, the reveal in the end that, uh, I forget their fucking, whatever his name is, the, the, the nice guy, JT, I think it is. Is it Ricky or JT? I don't know. No, JT's Noah Segan. Okay. So yeah, Ricky, um, my favorite part of this entire movie is when he gets his like crush down there and she's like dying and he's like, it's going to be okay. Like, I'm sorry. And she's like, you're fucking pathetic. And like denies him what he wants the most, which is like her approval. And then he ends up making her the next dead girl. So it's just like, oh no, he was just as bad as fucking JT was the whole time. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, Man, I really thought this might be Noah Segan's first movie, but it's not. Mm. He apparently did a lot of like voice work before he was in this movie, which is oh, crazy. he was one of the, he, he was one of those highly paid people we've heard so much about. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, yeah, I think you're so. I will agree with you that I think at base, in some ways, this is actually a perfect matchup because I, at base, I think this movie does have a ideology it's trying to put forward and i don't think that ideology is like along jt's angle which is like you know this person is dead and so i can do whatever and i and i think honestly unfortunately i think the movie is supposed to be at its base about rape culture about the way that while not all men are racist, are racist. Oh, many men are racist, but while not all men are rapists, many men enable rape culture by the way that they think and talk about women. Yes. I think that's really is what this movie is about, but it just feels like it doesn't ever fucking get there. Um, and it really treats part of the problem is, uh, raping a dead body is not the same as raping a person. They're both fucking awful and disgusting, but necrophilia, which is, you know, that's not what these guys think they're doing really, you know, because they're, they're just like, what? She's alive. She's just not alive. Right. Yeah. But as a metaphor, it doesn't work because it's a whole other thing. It's a whole other fucked up thing. And, um, it is, you know, very gross, but it is bringing that in. Doesn't really work. And the other part of this, I hate to say it because you don't want to boil it down to this. Like, so I think there's problems with the script. I think there's problems with the pacing. I think there's problems with the decisions they make about how to tell the story. Mm -hmm. But one of the biggest problems with this movie is one of these people can act and that person is not Ricky. So you've got a movie in which we've got Noah Segan, who has a poorly written character, but at least he's doing a thing. Like he is a character. He is acting. And our boy Shiloh Fernandez, who plays Ricky, he doesn't exist. He like is barely there. He as is a, a cardboard. Yeah, he is a cardboard cutout at best. So when you're, I mean, you are navigating some dangerous waters in this movie, right? You are you are trying to uh, demon you know, or or, or uh, bring negative attention to the objectification of women while still having a good chunk of like nudity and having scenes of 
people, you know, uh, raping an undead corpse that's like still kind of not dead, you know, like a she basically a zombie, right? And so, uh, if you're gonna do that, you can't just be more careful in the script than they are because the script is a bit gross. But even the casting matters. It doesn't work that like the two most compelling people in the movie are the rapist and and the corpse that he's raping like the corpse does more acting than this motherfucker ricky oh, does. oh yeah yeah and it's like well that doesn't work guys like that's not a movie and we spend a lot of time with ricky i mean in the end you're right the point is that ricky also sucks right but then why aren't we spending more time with his love obsession uh, or s- side note real quick yeah did you know Ricky's stepfather, Clint? Did you notice who he was played by? No. He is played by Michael Bowen, who is oh uh, yes, Tommy from Valley Girl. A little bit of yes. um, yes, a little yes, bit yes, of a yes. uh, you know poetic circular thing right there. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, well, okay. So, and anyways, I'm I'm getting in the weeds on this thing because I don't know that I cared enough about the movie to want to dissect it too much but i kind of do only because i think you're right like while i think this movie is really gross like i really didn't like the movie i didn't like watching it i found it very unpleasant i do think the intentions were there and i don't say that to defend the movie at all for me because you know you have a sentimental connection to the movie i don't so like i'm fine with just being like eh, fuck this movie and that wouldn't that i have no emotional reason not to do that yeah but i am invested in the idea of how could they get it so off you know and and not in the sense that like they're defending the wrong guy, right? They're not, this movie isn't ultimately a movie about how Ricky is great, but somehow something doesn't work. And I don't know if that's be, partly because I think it's uh, Joanne is his obsession, uh, played by yeah. Candace King. She's okay. Uh, this is pretty early in her career, right? And uh, I don't, I don't think she's strong enough to carry the weight of this thing, you know, but like, She's the only relatable. I mean, the only other person we have is 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 the girl who's dead. Her, the guys that she, the guy that she's dating and his friend, they fucking suck. JT sucks. The weird stoner guy JT brings in to also be a part. Absolute of this piece of shit. Like, he sucks. Like, and Ricky immediately sucks. So, like, again, not that you need. I've talked about this before. A movie doesn't need the likable character, but it is weird to spend this much time with this many people, all of which I hate. And have no reason to be invested in this story other than the sort of central idea, which is they find a girl who is not dead, but not alive. Also, I mean, I don't know. Maybe this is the part where I do feel like maybe I'm a little naive, but JT was ready to rape a corpse pretty quickly. Yeah, that was a little alarming how it it took. (laughs) It's like, all right, fine. I'll fuck this. Like there was like. I mean, it was kind of like, um, what I thought about was, uh, I, 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 there's a scene in the, uh, the indifferent stars above the story of the Donner party and how they suggested cannibalism before the food had run out and everyone was on board. It didn't take much for these people to go into the realm of the inhumane. And that's kind of what I thought here was like, it's like, they see this dead girl, they see this girl wrapped in plastic and instead of being like oh fuck we should call the police we should contact the authorities 
something he's just like oh no they'd be cool if we had sex with this dead body like who the fuck thinks that and it's a lot of the movie like i i i, I understand that we need moments the moments of this i guess to understand the the horror of the situation but a lot of the movie is that and it's not pleasant right and no and ugh. i i actually have a theory about this movie in that um I think a lot of the marketing didn't really help this film. Do you remember that film um, contracted about the. Yes. Yes. yes so yes. that movie, I actually didn't mind, but what I really hated was how it was marketed as um, this film will do for casual sex. What Jaws did for swimming in the ocean. It's like, yeah, but there's no casual sex in this movie. This woman was raped. You know what I mean? Like it really, uh, really fuck that you know it really it really cast like it really miss uh what's the word i'm looking for it cast the subject of the film which is rape in the wrong light right um i, I think in that case there was a specific conflict between the director and the producers when it came to the marketing well, and, I, and i only know about that because i was at a fest that contracted two was at and there was an effort in the sequel to try to adjust some of what they saw as the fucked up parts of the first movie, which was really like it being twisted to be about something maybe it wasn't. Uh, but I remember thinking, like, I don't know that the sequel solves anything, really. I don't think it, it really yeah. did anything. So re regardless, that's out there. Now, uh, this film, the poster I remember seeing, the tagline was, you never forget your first time. Ugh. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it kind of like, or and another tagline on the poster is, every generation has its stories about the horrors of growing up. No, it fucking doesn't. This isn't about the horror of growing up. This is about the horror of being a, like, uh, it is about the horror of growing up. This is about, like, just being a terrible, I don't know. Um, I think it doesn't help that for me it doesn't work as a movie. So then the 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 fact that I also think it it feels like a story that's still being told by men, right? Yes. Like this is this is a very masculine attempt to tell this narrative, right? And it has no f female perspective, not even just in the actors, right, or in the characters, but like in the script itself, I don't believe that a woman was in the room at any point. 100%. It's hard to imagine that and no one was in the conception of this movie. Was there ever a woman to sort of say, well, maybe we should do this or that. Like, so that's part. So it's like, I think it's that when the two things, those two things are combined, it makes something even more unpleasant. You know, it's like, this is not a fun movie for me to watch. Also, I think this is maybe super misogynistic, you know, like I think it's really not treating these women well, even though that's kind of the point. I think it's sort of missed the point to some extent. Yes. No, that's what I'm saying is it's like I, I, I think this film thinks it has good intentions. Right. Um, But they miss the mark so bad that it's just like, what the fuck, man, men. <laughs> and again, to that extent, the more I think about us talking about it, the more I'm like. This might have been a perfect movie to combine with Frankenhooker because it feels like in some ways it's opposite, you know, like it had all the good intentions and dropped the ball. And I feel like Frankenhooker maybe didn't have any of the good intentions, but it still has parts of it that you're like, 
oh, okay, that's interesting. I would have yeah. expected that. So, like, maybe it works in that sense. But I, I do think, like, the other part of it is, like, nothing about this movie is fun. Like, there's no fun moment. And you kind of know it's not going to. When you first see these two fucking emo badasses, right? Like, 2008 writ large. These <laughs> fucking fluffy-haired ne'er-do-wells who, like... You know, oh, we're so, we're so, we're going to skip school, whatever, blah, blah. Although the other thing I will say, side note, I think Noah Segan is actually compelling in this terrible, terrible role. I don't know why he has a Southern accent. They're so clearly in California. The whole Yeah, movie. I, yeah, I was thinking the same. I think, I think it was just like, look, I like Noah Segan. I just think that was his, like, um, his default, like, kind of like, I'm going to play like a teenage badass and all teenage badasses have that kind of like twangy accent. But it's it's like it just not to go off on a tangent. It just reminded me of like my father's side of the family and all my fucking shitty cousins who talk like that. And I was just like, <laughs> well, it's a weird it's a weird choice. But again, he's acting, and I just think uh, you know I'm not trying to just shit on on the the Ricky guy too hard, but I just did feel like. You know, the, the, the thing about the guy who plays Ricky is he's in the remake of Evil Dead and he's not bad. Hmm. It, it's just like in this one, it I don't know, because it's like no way Segan just has that like look about him. That kind of reminds me of like Vincent Gallo. If I didn't want to smash his fucking head in with a brick, he, he, uh, he just has this like intense look about him. And. I think that kind of lends itself to a person with bad intentions, which is what he is in this movie. Um, I, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I just like, I appreciate that this movie eviscerates the myth of the nice guy and that's about it. Everything else. I'm just like, oh, this is like at best fucking sloppily handled and at worst, like flat out misogynistic. Oh, well, well, I, yeah, I don't have much more to say about it other than it was cool to see like a young Noah Segan, although, like I said, I've, you know, when I was at festivals that he was at, I always had weird interactions with him, you know, so I feel like that was kind of this era, maybe, like, he just feels more whatever, whereas him in that newer movie, he's so charming and just sweet, you know, that I'm like, oh, man, it's hard to picture him as this guy, you know, but, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know, it's, 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 I don't think, I don't think it's a utter waste of time as a movie, but I can understand why it has some of the most mixed reviews on Letterboxd I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. And I get it. I get why that is. Uh, It's also not as weird as an interaction you had with Brian Cox at the screening of uh, the autopsy Jane Doe we went to when you waited in line to go to the bathroom with him. That was awesome. Oh, what? I don't remember what happened. (laughs) It's just from what I remember, you just had awkward small talk with Brian Cox about waiting in line to go to the bathroom. He was was profoundly uncomfortable. Yes. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's. I think I just was trying to be like, I'm going to meet Brian Cox right now. It doesn't help, too, that like other than the movie we had just watched at the time, I didn't have a lot to talk about. You know what I mean? Like, was I going to, was I going to ask him about super troopers? Like right then and there, (laughs) like while we're waiting to piss, I don't think I was. Yeah. So that's dead girl. You know, it's on, um, I think it's on Tubi, the greatest streaming service of all time. If you want to watch it. Um, actually, no way. I think I had to pay for this on voodoo. 
Ah, whatever. Fuck it. Um, all right. So that's the episode. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to our patrons on patreon.com, patreon.com backslash in the bunks. If you're interested in becoming a patron, uh, also be sure to check out www.xlvacx.com. They have a few wrestling matches coming up and essexcoffeeroasters.com. They have a few uh, reunion shows coming up. I'm talking about Bane, of course. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, side note, that wrestling show that LVAC has coming up, that band Rascal is playing. Okay. They are very good. Huge recommend if you haven't checked them out yet. Cool. R-A-S-K-O-L. Rascal out of Philly. Cool. I'll check them out. And also, as always, check out Mechanical Shark Media and R.I.P. Tina Turner, the fucking queen. Fuck Ike Turner. Tina was the fucking best. <laughs> Seeing her play Nutbush City Limits live on TV made me a fucking man. We will miss you. R.I.P. Also, Kenneth Anger, R.I.P. What oh, a, shit, what yes. A crazy, what, what a, a crazy what a, day. What a bad... And fucking Andy O'Rourke died the other day. Jeez. <sighs> Man, who's next? Morrissey? Fingers crossed. All right, we got to go. <laughs> All right. Bye. Do you scan the night sky in search of unidentified aerial phenomena? Do you lose sleep over strange projects funded by the CIA? Ever wonder which orifices ectoplasm comes out of? Come explore the unexplained and unexplainable with us on our podcast, Weird, Obscure, and Possibly Unsafe. We'll talk about telepomancy, haunted railroads, sentient umbrella spirits, mind-altering video games, remote viewing, SpongeBob conspiracy theories, and only gets weirder from there. Each episode will share three stories about all the weird things they tell you not to believe. Weird, obscure, and possibly unsafe. Available anywhere you get your podcasts. Hey! Hey!